All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mouth and Off Sports Show. We have a special uh, WrestleMania edition here as we are still quarantined here. We got one of our only sporting events uh, this past weekend, and it was WrestleMania 36 with no crowd, uh, performed in the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, special two-night event, and if I could sum it up in one word, it would be unique. It was a unique show, and I think there's a lot to take away from it. There's a lot, you know, we can knock. But I think there's also a lot that was positive that came from this event. And I think, you know, just right off the bat, I enjoyed it. Was it the best WrestleMania ever? No. Was it the worst? No, for sure not. I think it was somewhere right in the middle. Obviously, we're going to go from night one to night two here. I'm joined, obviously, here with uh, co-host Ryan Brown. Special guest appearance from Nick Brown, a.k.a. guest caller. Uh, yeah, boys. Um, let's get into it. Uh, night one and night two, honestly, you know, they were kind of different. Yeah, we both events, uh, both nights had like their fair share of uh, similarities and their cinematic matches and uh, titles changing hands, you know, a lot of that happening. But overall, I think, I think it was a good event. And night one to night two, if I had to pick a favorite, just spitballing here night two i think was uh my preferred night overall um i think night one had the best match but night two i think was just a, a better overall um uh, just a better night just was more evenly balanced and um had pretty good matches too but uh just right off the bat with you guys night one or night two if you had to pick one um for me it was night two um it Personally, it wasn't really even close, in my opinion. Um, I just think there were some more intriguing uh, matches. I, I almost don't even know if I want to call Cena Wyatt a match. More of a, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what to call that. But uh, that definitely was the most intriguing night, in my opinion. I think night one had the better matches, so I agree with you in that, uh, Dan. I, uh, and because of that, I think I'm going to go with night one. Just because okay. you had you had your cinematic match in Undertaker AJ Styles, which was the main event, and it was great. You also had a tremendous ladder match. And then you also had a regular one-on-one -on -one traditional match that – turned out to be really, really good uh, yep. um, in Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. Um, and I just think that, yes, night two had, had its fair share of hits. Uh, it certainly did. But I, I think that night one was just a little bit better. That, that's fair. I'll say this, too, uh, just right off the bat as well. For this type of event with no crowds, you know, they they were doing their best being, you know, creative and trying to make it work. Having it be two nights in hindsight, what what a perfect call that was. Because if, if we had to watch all of that in one night, no crowd, and it gets kind of shoved down your throat, it would have been a lot harder to enjoy in my mind. I think you guys probably agree. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, that if we had had, to, I think it came out to about six and a half hours worth of, of total time between the two nights. You would made, we had to sit through all of that on Sunday night. Uh, that would have been very tough. Granted, uh, the takeover matches that would have been on Saturday would have been fantastic. Uh, but they decided to air those over the course of the next few weeks on on TV instead. I'm fine with that. Uh, and it actually made WrestleMania feel a, a little bit better. I'll be I'll I'll be very interested to see if they decide to keep that two night format going forward and how that's going to affect if they do choose to do that. How that's going to affect uh, the takeovers going forward. Totally. Uh... Another thing, too, is, like, not having a crowd there, it's harder to let matches breathe. And having it be two nights at least gave you a little bit more, I'll say, breathability. Because, again, they're not all shoved down at once. It was kind of a nice, like, three-hour – I think first night was, like, about three hours. Second night was, like, three-and-a-half-ish. Yep. Like you said, Ryan, six-and-a-half hours. Uh, and, yeah, you had some lengthy matches in there for sure. Like, the edge in a – Orton match. What was that? Like twenty-eight minutes. I mean, that was a long one. Thirty-eight minutes. I think. thirty-eight. I'm sorry. I I undersold it. <laughs> no, that was that was a that was definitely one of the longer match. That was almost like a a time filler for for. I mean, I don't know. I know how Nick feels about it. I was fine with that match with how it was. Obviously, it could have been a lot better, but I was fine with it. I rewatched that one, and sorry, Nick, I'm totally cutting into you, but uh, I rewatched that one, not like in its like entirety, but like the you know the good parts of it. And again, like I'm happy they did what they did with Edge and Orton, having it be this like you know brawl style going across you know the whole performance center. I, I like that more than if they had that match in ring with no fans, just because like. Again, like, you were able to tell a story, albeit a long story. And even at the uh, the very end where Edge, you know, had to contemplate, am I going to strike him with this chair? Uh, he gives him a spear on top of the uh, NXT production truck thing. Uh, you know, there, there was enough there, even though it was very long, that made it okay for me, too. Because, again, you're seeing two iconic WWE legends and one that has just made a great comeback you know and he has that WW24 uh, documentary thing as well that was really good Edge does and Edge's story for me that was enough because we got Edge back we got Edge in Wrestlemania albeit no fans but again you got a lot of it and it wasn't grappling they weren't you know it wasn't very traditional but again I'll take it because there wasn't a lot – I mean, there was a fair amount that they did that was traditional overall over the two nights, but they got creative as hell. Again, with those two cinematic matches, Undertaker and Styles in the Boneyard, and then the Funhouse match with uh, Wyatt and Cena. I mean, that was like the best parts, you know, that came out of it, is that they, they kind of went for it. They got a little weird. They just got creative, and I'm – you know, that's like one of the big positives I think that comes from this is that they were forced, you know, to not mail it in. They could have mailed it in, but they didn't. And they tried a few things. And I think 
it really panned out overall because, yeah, you're going to get some dud matches. I didn't need to see, you know, the uh, the Lashley and Aleister Black. Like, I didn't need that. But overall, they made they made a good product out of what could have been a disaster. Which, I'll take that. So, I guess um, what I'll say, I guess, regarding the um, Edge-Orton match, I just, I've, not, I've got no problem with the whole style of the match. I've got a problem with how long that style got dragged out for. I think if, if that's a match you do with two younger guys, probably on an independent circuit, they can probably pull out more creative and more almost like Joey Janela style kind of match that would kind of keep me intrigued because of all the different like ways to use like violence in a match. And I just felt like the first 30 minutes of this match was just them just throwing each other into the walls of every room inside the performance center. Yeah. Uh, I was, I, you know, there were a couple couple spots that you know they were trying to put in there to try and make it look, you know, different and cool, like Edge swinging across some equipment, climbing onto, like, the roof of a chain link ceiling and dropping an elbow onto a table and, you know, some other things. Once they got out to the uh, the, the truck in the back, that's when things started to pick up. And I feel like you could have – you could have cut down a lot of that match because it just got really redundant and it could have been done so well because I mean, with edge and Orton, you're not expecting, I mean, these are two, you know, older guys in the industry. You're not expecting what you might find in a Joey Janela style, like hardcore blood death match. Uh, I just think you still could have found a way to be a little more efficient in the match instead of letting it drag on of 38 minutes of kind of the same thing. And you bring up Cena Fiend. I think that was probably the best, uh, the best match of the entire weekend. Nothing else grabbed my attention more than that, than that match in, in of itself because of how different it was. And that's mainly because it wasn't really a match, but you know, there, there were others, there were others, there were some of the bright spots of the weekend, but um, I think, Obviously, as you would have, as you would expect, no fans in the you know in attendance really hurt, and it, it, I think it really hurt the matches that didn't have you know big draws in it the most, like an eight-minute match between the Street Profits and Austin Theory and Matt Garza just didn't need to be on the card. You know, you mentioned Aleister Black and Bobby Lashley. That's a match I could have seen you know, maybe on the kickoff before the show actually goes yeah. live because you knew Aleister Black was going to win. And, you know, Bobby Lashley at this point, I don't know what the hell they're doing with him, um, but it's nothing good. And uh, at this point, Lashley and Lana just need to split up. There's no sense in those two being together. But there are a lot of – like, it got, it got to the point where I was more intrigued in what, what was going to happen – in the Dolph Ziggler Otis match than in huh. many other of the matches that, you know, were taking place. Like I looked at the card and you look at the, the wrestlers uh, in, 
that Raw Tag Team title match, you're like, this is a lot of good talent. But you just know they're not going to do anything with it. Because in, in WWE, it's so different. It's so different than all the other companies where in like AEW or Impact or, you know, these other, you know, promotions, the talent that you have in the ring as pure athletic wrestlers, you get to showcase that in other companies. In the WWE, you don't. You have to follow a mold that has been given. And I, I'm telling you, you have that match outside of the WWE, and that's a fantastic match that can go on 30-plus minutes. So, I mean, I just – this that, that weekend, WrestleMania weekend, really just kind of like it emphasized the whole watered-down product that, in my opinion, it is. Yeah, there's, there's a lot they could have cut down. And I agree, you know, going back to that Edge and Orton match, they had full editing capabilities, obviously pre-taped. They could have trimmed that a bit. You know, I agree there for sure. It didn't have to be 38 minutes. That's, uh, uh, that's a lot. It's a lot to take in. But, again, like that Otis and Ziggler match, if that were in front of a crowd, he would have got a hell of a pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And, yeah, I feel bad oh, – sorry, Ryan, but I feel bad for the guys, especially like Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, obviously his title now. That, it feels like it's a year or two too late for him to be getting that. But, you know, good on him. But they didn't get their, their true WrestleMania moments, you know. They had to probably envision what it was like when they won it if there were a crowd there and there wasn't, which sucks. Yeah, it definitely sucks. So, if, if I'm looking at night one, uh, definitely the worst match on night one was the universal title match between Braun Strowman and Goldberg because it was just a funky finisher match. Let's just spear and jackhammer. Let's just running power slam and be done with it. Oh, yeah. And obviously, you're happy for Braun because, like you said, he should have been world champion a year or two ago. They missed, they missed the chance to strike while the iron was hot. And Roman Reigns was supposed to be in this match. But because his, his body is immunocompromised, they don't want to – he doesn't want to uh, wrestle and, and take any chances with getting sick and whatnot. So he bows out of the match. And Braun Strowman benefits greatly, and he gets this title reign that he probably wouldn't have gotten. He was not supposed to be on the WrestleMania card, as was, uh, going into WrestleMania week. And then all of a sudden, bam, he's universal champion, walking out of Mania. And so good good for him, but that match sucked. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so sick of Goldberg matches just being spear, 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 jackhammer. He wins. Or spear, spear, spear. He doesn't hit the jackhammer. The other person hits their finisher moves a bunch of times and wins. It, it's so sick. I, I can't. I, it's, it's. They need to stop rolling guys like Goldberg out there, honestly. Like, enough is enough, man. He's a one trick pony, and that trick has been done too many times over the past few years. Yep. I, I just. It's, it's worse than the Brock Lesnar matches. At least we know that Brock can go when he wants to. Like, yes, he yeah. had an eight-minute match on night two for the WWE Championship, but, like, he's had his 20, 
minute matches and 25 minute matches before he's capable of them. And when he does do them, they're great. It's just, it just seems that they never choose to go that route. Um, back towards night one, I'd say the most puzzling decision, maybe I, I don't know if you guys will agree with me on this one. Becky Lynch retaining the raw women's championship over Shayna Baszler. Didn't make a lot of whole sense to me. I don't know how you guys felt about that. So, real quick, too, because uh, I listened to uh, Inside the Ropes with James Stu um, and uh, Mike Riley. And they, they, they were saying, too, like, not only was the retain kind of odd, but the finish, too. Like, you know, it's not not really like Becky to be, you know, down, 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 and then she finally wins. Like, she's, you know, obviously more dominant than that. But also, like, the weird finish, too. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, if Baszler, like, if they're really trying to push her or if that was just, like, a, I don't know, like, just a gimme and then she's going to fall back down. Or, like, I'm kind of confused with that whole division right now because Charlotte retained as well. Or, sorry, not retained. She won the NXT title, which I love. But – like, I don't know, are you going to roll Charlotte in NXT now? Like, are you going to try to use her as a ratings boost? I, I, don't, I don't know. It's just, like, for me, Shayna Baszler loses the same exact way almost every single time. She, get, she, she locks in her finisher, which is a submission move, and th- the opponent always reverses it into a pin, and she almost always loses that same exact way. And Becky Lynch was just added her name to the list of superstars who did beat her that way. And seeing the way they built Shayna up, having her just launch onto the scene, take out Becky Lynch by biting her in the neck, and, uh, and then having her run the gauntlet in the elimination chamber and become the first superstar to eliminate all of the other competitors in the match just to have her get rolled up in a surprise pin, I, I don't – it doesn't, doesn't add up to me. I don't get it. I understand that with the, t- the current circumstances, you maybe you don't want to push a new champion straight from NXT, but I, I just, this just feels like that be- if Becky doesn't lose there – I don't know when she loses. She might not lose until if and when Ronda Rousey comes back. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. I totally forgot about her. So, that's... That that, that match was... That match was okay for me up until the ending. That, that, that ending just was just not... Not, not it. Just wasn't yeah. it for me. Um, but... The, the, the latter match, which between John Morrison, Kofi Kingston, and Jimmy Uso, which was supposed to be a tag team ladder match, which got con- condensed into a, uh, a, a just a triple threat ladder match because The Miz was sick, and so they had to take out one, part, one person from each of the other teams. Uh, that ladder match was actually fantastic all around, the entirety of the match, uh, and the finish was great too. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd argue that that was probably the match of the night, night one. 
Yeah, that was a great match. And again, like a finish like that, you don't see that very often. It was unique uh, with uh, Morrison coming away with the belts and falling on the ladder. Obviously, I have to get this out of my system. I have an Undertaker bias, as you guys both know. <laughs> and to see, because again, uh, the three of us, uh, for those listening, um, you know, we, we were at WrestleMania last year for 35 in New Jersey. And it was the first WrestleMania in a long time that Undertaker wasn't involved in. And to see him main event night one, or however you want to frame that, but I'll call it main eventing night one, getting that cinematic boneyard match, American Badass comes back and he's just, him and AJ, I think just played that really well. I think they both really bought into, you know, whatever, you know, script or you know formula they were going for there and again like i love the dialogue i loved hearing undertaker you know his personality you know the mark calloway come out because for so long you know he's been the the silent dead man for the most part maybe you hear him say two words every year and you hear him in this match come on aj what's my wife's name aj huh uh you wanted this I'm going to choke slam you off this damn roof, son. Like, I, oh, I ate up every little bit of that. Same as the Bray Wyatt Cena match. You know, both cinematic matches were great. But that, you know, that that taker, man, I need to see that. He rides off after. He buries Styles. He rides off on his uh, motorcycle, man. Metallica plays right in the fields. Right in the fucking fields. Yeah, that, that, I think the cinematic match is perfect for taker going forward. oh yeah he should never wrestle inside of a ring ever again and only do cinematic matches at wrestlemania until he's done i'm totally fine with that we could get taker sting if, if we do that yeah or you could do undertaker the fiend bray wyatt I oh don't, god yes I, I do not care but as long as you keep undertaker away from an actual ring and let him just 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 feast on the opportunity to do put together a cinematic production that allows the undertaker's true like character to come out and, and have that shine and dominate over the fact that he just can't hang inside the ropes these days i mean he's 56 and you yeah. can't blame him but this it hides the fact that he's just not there in the ropes and it, it just puts a shine on his actual character, which is what everyone is here for these days. Oh, totally. Just totally. Keep, keep it at that. I will say the cinematic match, uh, including AJ Styles in it, was unfortunate because AJ Styles, in my opinion, is the best wrestler in the WWE, so keeping him away from the ropes stunk. But you didn't know that that was going to be the case going into that match. So it's not really their fault. Uh, and, but AJ was great in that. I mean, he played the part. Uh, him and his, the rest of his, his faction in the OC, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, they played, they fit the roles perfectly. And I, I loved it. Yeah, and I'll say too, I love that it wasn't like, you know, they, they didn't try to make it come off as this like Oscar-esque, performance like that you know they kind of embraced what it was which was you know that kind of Matt Hardy 
ultimate deletion type of thing style. And, you know, it was, it fit the whole narrative and the story that, you know, they were trying to tell with that. And again, like, I can't emphasize this enough. You saw more personality and character from Undertaker in that match than you have in the last, I don't know, five plus years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't enjoyed about that is, um, yeah, yeah. people, People need to put some respect on Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows because they, they made evented WrestleMania. <laughs> nah. But it was a great match. I loved it. I haven't enjoyed uh, Undertaker Matt quite that much since, uh, what was it, tw- uh, 28, 29, when it was uh, him versus Triple H, Hell in a Cell, Shawn Michaels, special guest referee. Yeah. I think that was um, 28 or 29. Random random question. Uh, what was the ending to WrestleMania 34? Because I'm trying to remember the last time WrestleMania actually ended well. Uh, the main event of 34 was Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, the finisher, Palooza. All right, well, okay. I mean, that's... Like, Brock retained the title after hitting six F5s. Because it feels like WrestleMania hasn't ended with like a really like a really feel like you you leave and you felt like really good about the way they sent you home and the, and the show in general. Like it, it feels like it's been since Daniel Bryan won the WWE World Heavyweight Title when they were combined. Like I I, I can't remember the last WrestleMania that really like. You walked out of and said, wow, that was like an amazing event. 35 would have given you more of that feeling if, again, we weren't exhausted by the end of it, you know? Yeah, like, that's a big factor. Because that main event was a good main event. The finish was a little shaky, but. It was an understatement. Huh? A little is an understatement, but yeah, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> there were lots of problems in that match. Just there was nothing smooth at all. The the Kofi, Kofi winning um, that world title over Daniel Bryan, that was huge. I mean, yeah, that I wish he had, they had just made that the main event because Rollins beating Lesnar was a super obvious. Well, actually, that wasn't even the main event, but like still, like even considering Rollins, they kicked off with that. Yeah, right? they kicked off with that. But it was originally – or, no, did they announce it beforehand what the main event was? I can't even remember. But, like, yeah, I, I understand – I understand, um, like, it's just tough because after the fact, I would have wished that Kofi main evented. But before the fact, before the show actually happened, you know, it made sense for the women to go last. <clears throat> But yeah, I, I mean, know. they had a huge year. Yeah. You know, you just – there's a lot of pressure on them, and, you know, not it's not going to go your way every time, I guess. But, I don't know, it just feels like WrestleMania is supposed to be, like, the showcase of Immortals, like, the best event of the year. And I feel like for the past, like, in recent memory, you can find – regular ass pay-per-views that put put on better shows specifically the NXT takeover events 
that are better consistently every year. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, what the total issue is. I mean, with WrestleMania, I think one of the biggest things is, is the length. Well, you know what it is? Is they try they're they've become super sensitive and feel like they need to get as many people on the show as possible, and they don't want to deal with hurt feelings or something. That's the impression I get because you book all these matches that you don't need, and the only reason I can think for it is because they they feel like they want to get as many people. They want to try and stack the card as much as possible. And it's like, do they not realize, can they not read their audience that nobody really wants to see probably like a third of the matches that you're booking? Like shorten the show, give the people a break, and really put some value on the people that actually get to wrestle on WrestleMania. Because it feels like just anybody can make it to WrestleMania. And it's not as big of an event as it should be. Make getting to perform at WrestleMania actually worth it. The people that are over in the crowd, the people, uh, whether it be heel or face, the people that have worked the hardest, that have put in the time, put in the effort, you know, have taken care of their bodies to stay as healthy as possible, albeit health is not always in your power in this industry. But like, it just, I just get the feeling that it's not something you really earn anymore. It's just if you're at the right place at the right time. And that just feels bad, man. Can't argue with that. I mean, you're pretty much spot on there. Uh, well, the thing is, is that for the amount of matches they have, they, they book themselves into a corner where they, they book all these matches they want to give certain matches enough time. And then in order to do that, it requires seven hours, eight hours worth of your time. Or, yeah. or at least five or six. We saw six and a half between two nights. Last year, the main, the main card went over five hours like it has for the last three years. And that's when you add a two-hour kickoff before that, that's just doing too much. So you either, like Nick said, you either have to short, eliminate the card, or you've got to, you've got to make the match quality better. Like you can't have these, these just, like this year was an exception because they decided to tinker and experiment with things. So I'm going to give them a pass for throwing some random singles matches on there, whatnot. But you can't have matches on the card that are just on the card because, oh, the, we're, we got to have the titles defended and have no story behind it. Like, either you got to have a story behind it or if you're not going to have a story behind it, then the match and in-ring product has to deliver. You have to let them go ape shit crazy in the ring. Let them be spot monkeys. Let them do whatever the hell they want. I don't care. And there's just such a resistance to letting them shine in the ring. And that's where I agree with Nick. And again, too, to piggyback off that, I thought last year, you know, they built a good storyline leading up with Batista and Triple H. 
but then they didn't really execute it in the ring. It's like they, you know, they're either on one side of the fence or the other. You know, it feels like they haven't been able to hit on both of those uh, key elements nearly as much. Uh, just getting both that storyline and the good in-ring battle, uh, which, yeah, yeah it's, it's hard, but. They, they do deliver occasionally. The, the Kobe Kingston match was pretty good last year, and then it, it had the, the, the moment of him overcoming everything, the story behind it. So they do, they do hit on occasion, uh, but it, it definitely feels like it's few and far between. Yep. Um, as far as night two, we already discussed some of it. Um, in my mind, like the most, the weirdest decision was keeping the title on Bailey. She retained in a fatal five-way elimination match. I thought for sure that somebody was she was going to drop the title to somebody, and because she's been champion for almost three hundred days, about, and that's I don't have a problem with it, but I just thought this was a surefire title change waiting to happen. And not only does Sasha not turn on Bailey, they do they did tease it a little bit at the end after the match, but. To, I did find it puzzling that Bailey found a, a way to keep the title yet again. Yeah, they've been doing the Sasha and Bailey thing for a while. You know, is she going to turn? You know, all that stuff, which is okay. But again, like, yeah, it's kind of nice having her hold on to the title for so long. You know, it gives meaning to that title reign. But again, like, I don't really know what's going on with the women's division and I don't follow it you know tooth and nail but even just from watching Wrestlemania you know again like that Becky finish Bailey holding on in the you know in that huge ass match that was like I think 20 minutes close to it um and yeah like I don't really know what's totally going on there and I mentioned Charlotte before like yeah like Charlotte is she gonna be on fucking NXT now like how does that work? And like, I just don't get it. I'll I'll tell you what's going on. They refuse to give any build to any or any push to any woman that is outside the, the title picture. And that extremely limits their division. So you think about on Raw, it's you had Becky and Shayna. And then on SmackDown, you're pretty much tinkering around with Bailey, Sasha, and Naomi, and and Lacey Evans. And the additional problem that they have is everybody's so hyper focused with Bailey, Sasha, waiting for Sasha to, you know, split herself off from Bailey. I mean, they did nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing to make anybody considerably even believe that Lacey Evans or Naomi, and we don't even need to talk about Tamina, I was rooting for her though, uh, whether Lacey Evans or, or Naomi were going to actually win the title. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's the same way on Raw. I mean, Ruby Riot comes back, does nothing. Liv Morgan comes back, does nothing. You know, Sarah Logan was actually kind of getting some TV time 
then they just drop that ball. Uh, Natalia is essentially just around to put other people over at this point. Uh, Charlotte has done literally everything and faced everyone that they could give her on a big spotlight basis that they had to move her to another goddamn brand and make her the freaking champion of the brand, which is kind of a kick in the balls to every single women's competitor in the NXT women's division. Because there's so many people that I you can envision fighting for the title and owning the title. And it's it's that sad that there's such a repetition in the main event women's division that you had to take one of your best performers away. And what I probably think at this point is that this is setting up some sort of, you know, Charlotte will hold the NXT title for however long, but they're really just using this to get the fans, the mainstream Raw and SmackDown audience, to forget about Charlotte so that when she comes back, they'll be heavily interested and it'll be like a fresh new start for her or something. That's what I would hope that they're doing. But even so, all of this just highlights the fact that A, the talent they have kind of stinks. All right. Liv Morgan kind of stinks. That there's all not great. Um, and it just also highlights how how little depth they have in general. I think for a long like for a long time I've been waiting for a mass haul on some of this NXT talent to come on up and just take over the main event scene. But in classic McMahon fashion, you don't get that. And so you, you just get the same old. And therefore, you're probably going to see nothing but Becky and Shayna and Sasha and Bailey. And maybe, I guess, on SmackDown, those two messing around with little lower tier superstars all the way through until this coronavirus has ended. You're not going to get anything new uh, in that on that front. And even after that, you can't convince me that they're going to change much else. It's It feels like it's been like this ever since um, people started getting used to Charlotte, Becky, Sasha, and Bailey coming up from NXT. Like in the beginning, it was all cool. They all almost took turns facing each other. But ever since those four came up, it's really highlighted how little else they have to give on the main roster. And it's just been time for some new, fresh new faces. And I was hoping that other, you know, Bianca Belair coming up to Raw was great. Although I don't like what they did on Monday night. It felt so redundant. I don't know if you caught it. Uh, But on SmackDown, They've essentially been rolling the Super 5 of Daniel Bryan, Drew Gulak, Cesaro, Nakamura, and Sami Zayn in the same segment in just a different kind of match, like one person faces the other, or they shift tag title or tag matches every week on SmackDown. But it seems like since what they did on Raw is they had another Raw tag team title match between the Street Profits and Garza in Austin Theory, which makes no sense. Why even give them a match on WrestleMania on the card if you're just going to redo the whole entire match the next night on Raw? And and you're not even going to let the match finish because you're going to bring in Zelina Vega to interrupt. And then you're going to bring Bianca Belair to interrupt. And you're going to have three matches with the the, the same six people 
in like an hour segment. It just the, the booking is lazy right now, and I don't. I feel like it might be on purpose. I feel like it might be on purpose because of everything going around with the world health crisis that is going on. But yeah. it's so lazy, and it's it's been lazy for a while, but it just feels extra lazy right now. Like everything that's going on just continues to highlight and emphasize even more how lazy creative is in in their decision making. Did you get everything off your chest there? I could go on <laughs> at this point. The product stinks. It, right. it stinks. So let, let's 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 pick that that apart right there. So I I agree about it. Feels like there's a lack of depth in the women's division, whether that be Raw or SmackDown, because like Nick said, they have they have failed to build anybody up besides the four horsewomen. That being Charlotte, Becky, Bailey, and Sasha. They they tried to build Shayna up to be this just cage killer. And then she loses on a really soft roll-up. That they've overused. Which I already said. And mm. then on SmackDown, like Nick said, they just don't have... They haven't built up anyone to be a credible threat. So you go into a five-person match thinking, ah, well, it's either she Bailey retains or Sasha wins the belt from her. Cause you just you just know they haven't built up any of their other talents to be credible threats. And that's really unfortunate because they have high quality talent. Na- Naomi is a great talent, but she's been just been thrown aside and not given a proper buildup. They don't give any of these superstars proper buildups. Lacey Evans was thrown into the fire after WrestleMania 35 last year into a rivalry with Becky Lynch over the Raw title all summer, and it just wasn't good. It just wasn't good. They didn't give her enough buildup. And then you get all these women that are down in NXT that are fantastic. You had a fantastic six-person ladder match for the number one contendership for the NXT title uh, this past Wednesday. And why not? Why are they all sitting in NXT? Why not bring some of them up, like Nick said, and spice things up? I hope that's what they do whenever the the draft or the what do they what do they normally call it the the shuffle the oh uh, superstar shakeup. Superstar yeah. shakeup. Thank you, Dan. Uh, whatever they decide to call it this year, uh, I hope that they take some of their NXT women's talent and start to influx that to Raw and SmackDown because they they need it. They they have just they ruined any sort of comeback the Riot Squad stable could have. They. They just don't have anything on Raw or SmackDown past those four horsewomen. And there's no Ronda coming back anytime soon by the sounds of things. You've just ruined your shot with Shayna. Now you have to try and build her back up. They, They just really need to bring some fresh talent from NXT and maybe even send a talent or two from the Raw or SmackDown to NXT 
and give them a facelift. Not from a character standpoint, but just from a credibility standpoint. Yeah, and I'll say, even though she is like an OG, I don't like how they've used uh, Alexa Bliss. I think she should be more in the shuffle of things. I mean, like, she used to be. She used to be right up there, and obviously things change, and, you know, people get hot, like Becky, and, uh, you know, they had Ronda, obviously, you know, before. So somebody had to take a back seat. But I think she she may not be, like, the most talented um, out of those four horsewomen, but I think Alexa Bliss – shouldn't be using a tag team with Nikki Cross and nothing against Nikki Cross, but I just don't, I don't know. I just don't love that. I, I don't love that role for her. Alexa is a great singles competitor. The problem is, is, is her, is her injury history is she's just, she's had concussions. She's coming back and they're trying to save her and keep by keeping her in a tag team that that's going to keep her fresh that's good that's less bumps that she has to worry about and yeah i'd much rather see bliss as a singles competitor but for the time being she's probably going to be in that tag team with nikki cross and that's fine if you're going to make her the tag champs like they've won the tag champs uh the women's tag titles at wrestlemania fine that's great um but yeah, you could be using people like Bliss, people like Asuka and Kyrie Sane. Uh, and they have they could have great singles runs. But this since WWE once again, they have basically no women's tag division. They have to take these singles competitors and bring them together to form tag teams. Yeah. Yeah. And that that sucks, but yeah, I mean, with Asuka, you know, being uh, with, you know, the Kabuki Warriors, I totally botched that, but nope. um, all right. Um, yeah, I hope she gets a push again, maybe throw her back in NXT or whatnot, but I think we're glossing over or we've missed one of the biggest moments, I think, of the whole weekend, guys. Which what? So, there was one uh, future Hall of Famer, former tight end of the New England Patriots, hosting the WWE WrestleMania. And in night two, he uh, did a little, little pop from uh, his little podium thing and knocked over all the guys vying to pin Mojo Rawley for the 24-7 title. And our man Gronk is a WWE champion in his own regard. He is a 24-7 European WWE champion of the world. How do we feel? Oh, it, <laughs> I actually missed this. Uh, I, I had to take a bathroom break somewhere. Uh, unfortunately, I missed the 24-7 title change on night two. Uh, because of it, uh, going back and watching it, uh, you know, nice little dive there from, from Big Gronk, uh, running off with the title. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how long he holds it for, because I don't know when they're going to be able to get him down in a, 
the Performance Center in Orlando next. So uh, he might be 24-7 champion for, uh, Record for, holding for a little bit. <laughs> Coming for R-Truth's neck. But, yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I have no complaints. Was he the best host ever? I mean, he oh. did what he could. I mean, he, he did the best he could. I don't think he's going to be the best guy on the mic ever, but he's a personality. And hopefully that gets him far enough that he can make something of what could be a WWE career. I don't know. But I'll take it. I'll take it. Now, in my opinion, the worst match of night two was the main event. It was Drew McIntyre beating Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. Again, just like night one's Universal Championship match, it was just a finisher fest, nothing more, nothing less. And I, I don't mind a finisher fest if you have – if it's a built-up a built match. And what I mean by that is you actually – have a constructed some sort of match like where it's like 10 15 minutes long and then you start finish you start hitting your finishers left and right to just go straight into a finisher fest and hit nothing else besides their finishers i I, i'm sick of those matches i i'm i really am and it really takes away from in my opinion from drew mcintyre because He's way better than that. It's just unfortunate that they decided that they weren't going to work a long match in front of no fans. Um, but good for Drew McIntyre for fulfilling his his lifelong dream, becoming the first British WWE champion in history. Uh, it's a shame he didn't get the big stage in front of 80,000 people to celebrate in front of. But he did get the big show after Hey, come on! You set me up. It is. It it is what it is. All right, I I got a little facilitation going on here. Two up, two down. You get your two favorite matches and your two least favorite matches. But out of your two favorite matches, only one can be a cinematic one. So just for that caveat, um, yeah. I'll go first. My uh, my two. I'll give you my two favorite first. Uh, obviously, Undertaker, Styles, right there, absolutely. And number two was close for me, uh, but I have to go with uh, have to go with Owens and Rollins, because again, it was probably the most. It felt like the most wrestling match. You know, like you, you didn't notice the crowd not being there quite as much, at least I didn't, because there were some good spots, and Owens coming off with the fucking WrestleMania sign was pretty epic. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I liked that match. I liked how we kind of got a little bait and switch with the DQ, and then Owens like, no, like, I'm not going to end it this way, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I fell for that. I fell for that. I did too. I did too, which is why that adds to it for me as well. So those two would have to be my top two favorite. I can only take one cinematic, so I have to go with my guy, Taker. Uh, so I, I already said my favorite from night one was 
the triple threat, the the triple threat ladder match for the SmackDown tag titles. So I'll, I'm sticking with that, and then give me the Firefly Funhouse match between the Fiend and John Cena. That was just a roller coaster. Obviously, we said it wasn't really a match, so much of a match as you would be accustomed to seeing, but that was just such a roller coaster of uh, production that I had no idea where that was going at any point in time. I, and I was just rip. in awe of of the just everything about it. Uh, I can't just detailing Cena's whole career just to circle it all back and have the fiend get revenge for Bray on Cena. Just fantastic. If I can add uh, one more thing to that, when I was listening to Inside the Ropes with uh, Jay Stu, he said something that I actually feel like is really true. They acknowledged a lot of their history in that match, you know, especially with, you know, Cena's past with Bray Wyatt over the years. And they acknowledged like so much history and then having the Vince puppet. I mean, that was, that was fantastic. Nick. So, um, clearly I'm, I, uh, big, big fan. I'm the cinematic match I'm picking is, uh, the Firefly Funhouse match. But uh, I was also really impressed with the women's tag match. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one just to pick something different. I mean, if you look at uh, – I just checked out, like, how long each match went. Went whole 15 minutes, which was longer than, like, the majority of the rest of the card. And they really did a good job of uh, keeping you involved in that match and giving you the result that you both wanted and what, you know, what was needed. So uh, definitely really enjoyed that. I was disappointed in the Intercontinental title match. Um, I felt like they could have done a lot more with somebody with the caliber of talent that both Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn possess, and it didn't even hit 10 minutes. And then also I was disappointed with the Becky Lynch-Shayna match. And not only just the result, but I don't even think that match made it past 10 minutes. And if it did, it wasn't by much. Um, just double-checking, it went eight and a half minutes. That's kind of ridiculous for uh, the, the, that kind of caliber of a match. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I'll say there. So is that your least favorite? And then what was your other least favorite? Um, the Intercontinental title match. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my two least favorite, number one, uh, Goldberg and Strowman. I did not need that. I don't – like, I know they were put in a tough spot. But even with Roman in there, I think that's still not a long match. It's going to be pretty short. And it was a, just a finisher fest, like I think you said, Ryan. And, yeah, if there was like eight to ten minutes that builds up to that, I'd feel a lot different. But to see 53-year-old Bill Goldberg out there and for what they did to The Fiend when they took the title off him in Saudi Arabia, I mean, like, why? Why? Why the fascination with Goldberg? I know he's a legend, but at this stage, come on. Like, you know what you're going to get. And to have him – be in mania 
and to just just be like three minutes of finisher after finisher, I don't need that. So that's number one. Number two, worst or least favorite match. I, I alluded to it before, but again, Aleister Black and Bobby Lashley. I don't need Bobby Lashley on the main card of any WrestleMania. I didn't need it five fucking years ago. I don't need it now. So I will say Bobby Lashley match. Bobby Lashley was so good at Impact, and it was a real shame that he left because as soon as he left, he just was awful. He never he hasn't done one good thing ever since coming back to the WWE. But at Impact, he was so good. He was putting on great matches left and right with everybody in the company, including Drew Galloway. And, you know, I think it's just a common theme that you get. You get all these guys that come in from the indie circuit or, uh, or just from other promotions where they're allowed to do their own thing and really peak. And uh, they have the freedom to do what they're best at and their styles. And then they come back or to the WWE and everything is just changed about them. I would have taken Rusev in that fucking match over Lashley. Yeah. Um, Rusev's a guy who I think um, when he first broke onto the scene, he, he kind of fit the mold for WWE, WWE kind of perfectly. You know, he was very much character-oriented, but the way they had him wrestle his matches were uh, were very almost character-driven just because he was the, the, the big bad foreigner that everybody was supposed to hate, which is a very overused gimmick. But I think they did it very well and the, with Rusev in the beginning, you know, with the whole patriotic Jack Swagger stuff and with John Cena, you know, big United, big US, USA fan, John Cena. Uh, loves his country. Uh, but now, I, with Rusev being gone for a while and coming back, and they did the whole cuckold like, gimmick, I, I don't know where Rusev goes from here because right now the fans just kind of see him as a joke. You know, like, I'm, I'm not taking him seriously right now. So they need to find something for him to, uh, to really get him back into the group because he's got such a great, like, tenacity and viciousness to him and he should always be a guy who is booked either as a heel or as one of those in-betweeners where you kind of just have him like Mox in AEW where he just like fucks shit up and like does what he wants because he's that badass and can do it and I think you just you don't see that all too much Samoa Joe is giving you a bit of an inkling of that kind of style and booking. Uh, he just can't stay healthy for his life or off what performance enhancers, the steroids, whatever he got caught for that kept him out a month another, or another month from whenever he came back. So I, I don't know. that I think and, – and speaking of – I don't know why it just popped in my head. We got to talk about the revival. Dan, did you hear about the revival today? I didn't, but Ryan still has to give his two least favorite. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Dan. Oh, I thought we were doing these all at once. What the hell? No, I'm glad Nick's paying attention. Wait, Ryan. 
we didn't before you go. Give them all at once. There's no point. I have to say something. King Corbin and Elias can both go to fucking hell. Fuck that match. Go Rhymes. <laughs> Sir, you're only allowed two downs. You can't give three. You I both- gave you three. Fuck you. Go Rhymes. Uh, I already, I already gave my two worst, uh, but both the world title matches, uh, were hot garbage in my estimation. They're, they're, the overuse of finisher fests in like five minute matches has just, I've just had enough of it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I will, I will co-sign the Elias King Corbin match. Didn't really do it for me either. Oh, oh, go fuck off with that match. Yeah. That was a straight time filler. Yeah. Nick, the revival. So um, I'm surprised you didn't see it because it, it, I mean, I guess it's not as big news as it would have been, say, I don't know, maybe a year ago, uh, maybe six months even. But uh, the WWE officially came to terms and released the revival today. So they will be presumably free to go wherever they please. Um, obviously, the first thing that many people think uh, wonder is if there's a 90-day wait clause for them. But with everything going on with the coronavirus right now, I don't even think it really matters because I think in 90 days we'll still be feeling some of the effects of uh, what... Well, hold on. First off, there is not. There They're is. free to go wherever they want. Right now, what? Yeah, which I'm not surprised. I didn't know for sure. I didn't. I didn't find that online anywhere. But it does make sense that they don't have it because they haven't wrestled, and I'm presuming that they fulfilled most of their contract. Uh, I don't know how long they were signed in toll, because that's usually if they release you ahead of your contract expiring, then you usually have to wait the 90 days. But I don't know if they made some sort of special agreement, seeing as they weren't really using the revival at all. Because, you know, like, like obviously, Matt Hardy, he, he, his contract expired. He just went, and there was no 90-day because he just let his contract expire. But, like, with Brody Lee going to AEW, he had to wait the 90 days because he still had contract time left on because of all the injuries that he had that added on additional time to his contract. So that's why I just didn't know. If, because it came out of the blue, I didn't know what the Revival's contract status was. Um, but I'm glad that they don't have to wait if that's true. Um, so why do, you, why do you want to talk about the revival? Well, where do you guys think they're headed? Well, I'll just say this. I've seen them on Twitter over the past, like, year plus, always making, like, sarcastic jabs at their, like, role. Mm-hmm. Like, sarcastic. They've been unhappy for a while. Huh? They've been unhappy with their – current status in the company and they've, they've been public about it too on yeah, social no media so i'll just say this right now they're probably going to AEW. but ryan do you have any more knowledge on that uh no it's just it's been a long time coming they've been waiting for this moment for quite a while now almost a year uh obviously everyone is speculating that they're finally going to get their chance to have a match with the young bucks in AEW. Um, but uh, they could it, it, they could also find themselves not signing any sort of exclusive contract with anywhere and sort of sort of tinkering and going to all these different promotions just to see where they fit in best. Yeah. 
I, I, I don't know if I see that happening. I, I think there's a bigger chance that they sign to a company because they, you know, they, they're proven talent. It's not like they're necessarily, I'm trying to think of somebody that was released and uh, has been just running the circuits kind of like an Aaron Stevens for a while, AKA Damian Sandow. He was running the circuits for a while until finally uh, finding a, a nice little landing spot in NWA. And, you know, speaking of NWA, I don't know if how much of their content you've, uh, you've seen Dan, but the, the style that they wrestle in NWA is probably the best fit for the revival. Um, it's less, you know, flips and less like athletic and more brute strength and technical grappling and, you know, try, you know, character on screen characters. <clears throat> so it's almost, it's almost as similar uh, to the WWE as you can get. Uh, it's just a little more scuffed per se, but they would be a very nice fit there. I've seen a lot of people want them to go to Japan I think they'd be okay in Japan, but I don't really think they would. Uh, I mean, part of me thinks like New Japan doesn't have a wicked deep um, tag team division. It's pretty much been run by the Tongans and then, you know, some of the staples there putting together teams for a while. But I, I just don't know if their style is right for New Japan. It just the fit style wise doesn't really it doesn't feel right to me. The obvious the obvious pick is AEW. I mean, there's that famed tweet, um, uh, like Ryan I think was alluding to, where Matt Jackson tweeted that one day the Young Bucks will wrestle the Revival, uh, and to remember this tweet, and you know it'd be really cool to get that. I think you're definitely going to see some interest from AEW in getting the Revival to come in. And I, I, I'm rooting for that. I think that would be the best move for them. Probably the best money they could get. Uh, they'd probably... I think they'd be right in line with getting up on the rankings uh, for a shot. Because, I mean, I know times... I, I, we can't emphasize this enough about how the times are different right now with everything going on. But the Lucha Bros really haven't wrestled much uh it's been we've seen a lot of omega and page you know sprinkled in with some young bucks and you know some best friends in scu and somehow the dark order i saw this the other uh, i saw this yesterday somehow the dark order is like the number one contenders for the the tag team championships don't know where the hell that came from because um, they're undefeated in the year 2020. Well, yeah, I see that they're five and zero, oh, but I don't recall them. Like, I I can't recall the last match that they had. Does, I don't know if they've been wrestling on dark a lot. Uh, let's just stay to you know WWE related stuff and not get off on a complete tangent. Oh, I thought this was a wrestling. It was a wrestling pod. So, that wasn't going on. So. Yeah, well, dude, we've expunged WrestleMania. There's nothing okay, left. Okay, I had one last question about about WrestleMania overall. One yeah. last one. Um, let's all give it a grade, okay? Sure. 
you can factor in the fact that they had no crowd. I think you probably should. That's what I'm going to do. The fact that they had to work with no crowd, they had to do it in their performance center, and they spread it over two nights. And their one of their you know top guys that was going to be um, going up against Goldberg for the universal title had to back out Roman Reigns. All those factors included. I give it a solid B, like a firm B. I give it a B minus. Um, I think they had more hits than misses, but it wasn't by a, a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm giving it a very average C. Okay. I can accept those. You better. Well, for sure. I just think that, you know, even a C for what they had to deal with is still, you know, I would call that fair. Because, again, they had plenty of duds. They did hit on some things uh, as well, obviously. But, yeah, it still wasn't all, you know, butterflies and flowers. I mean, it wasn't the greatest thing ever, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah. And, again, we haven't gotten anything. I mean, we've been quarantined for weeks on weeks, and we haven't had sports since March 11th, I think, was the official date. I mean, it was something, man. It was something. And at the very least, we had that. And kudos to WWE for pulling it off. I don't know how the fuck they did, but they did. Yeah, they, I think it's because they pre-taped everything right before Florida issued a stay-at-home order. Uh, any sort of like crazy gathering bands. Um, so they were able to squeak it in. Um, it's going to be real interesting to see how they sort of decide to keep moving forward because they already announced that they're planning on having another pay-per-view next month, uh, which means that they're going to continue to put on some form of new content on their on a weekly basis, which Knowing the WWE, that doesn't surprise me. But at the same same point, like at some point, this this no the empty arena with no fans, you, you can only go so long with doing this before it, it just gets like, all right, what are we, what what are we doing here, guys? What why are we why are we even bothering? This is just this is just getting ridiculous. So I, I I'd be. I don't think they'll stop unless they're literally forced to by like every single state. Um, sort of like, um, cause they don't, Vince doesn't really have to stop. He doesn't have the only person that can really tell him to stop is like the governors uh, of each state or, or whatnot. But I, I just, I'm definitely interested to see how long the weekly product is able to hold up before it just gets so stale. Um, and another thing is if how, I don't know how long the, the pandemic is going to continue for, but if it stretches into the summer, like it could, that puts SummerSlam in jeopardy. And if SummerSlam has to be sort of a repeat of what WrestleMania was, I, I, I don't know. Like, is that, is that going to have the, is that going to be worth it? I don't know. 
So I, I'm definitely interested to see how things shake out going forward. If they have some sort of superstar shakeup or draft, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm look, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, Money in the Bank is supposed to be what May 10th. Yep. I mean, I don't know. The UFC just got forced to postpone everything. Uh, I don't know, man. It, it, I don't think it looks very bright. But again, it definitely doesn't. If anyone can try to shoehorn anything into something, it's Vince McMahon. So, yeah, I, I do think the smart play though would be to not have any pay-per-views for the time being until the pandemic is over and they're able to have fans. They won't do that, but that's probably what I would do. If you if you want to keep doing a weekly product new content on a weekly basis, so be it. But I think it's foolish to to waste pay-per-view events on no crowd with no crowd. I, I think it's – it's because especially Money in the Bank, that's like another big pay-per-view for WWE. Like those, those are big moments. And when you went, have somebody win the briefcase. And so I, I don't know. It just – uh, it's, it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better, Ryan. Yeah, pretty much my same same thoughts there. You know, so you, there's no point. Yeah. So my last thing about WrestleMania would be, so now that WrestleMania 36 is in the books, next year, assuming that everything returns to some sort of normal where you can pack the, the, the stadium and whatnot. WrestleMania 37, Los Angeles. Give me one bold prediction for next year's WrestleMania. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, anything. Anything is on the table. It can be anything? Yep. Next year at WrestleMania, Rob Gronkowski will win a title that's not the 24-7 title. He's going to be either a tag team champion or he's going to win, say, like, I don't know, like the Intercontinental. But he's going to be a champion, not a European champion. Nick? Really putting me on the spot here. I don't know what to think because this is so long term. I came up with something, you bum. Yeah. Figure it out. Can, the only thing I can think of is uh, that Ronda Rousey will come back and win the Raw or SmackDown Women's Championship. All right. Because she comes back, she's gonna win it. I guess. My bold prediction is that Adam Cole is going to be a world champion come WrestleMania 37. He is going to win a world championship at WrestleMania 37. He's never leaving NXT. Nah. He's, he's going to win the Royal Rumble and he's going to win a world championship at WrestleMania. Baby! I have one more. Sure. Uh, so both Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano are, are going to be entrants in the Royal Rumble. And then Johnny Gargano 
is going to throw him over the top to win. And then he's going to whoop that ass at WrestleMania. <laughs> go, Johnny, go. <laughs> nah. If you want a really bold prediction, the the only way to go is to say that CM Punk will wrestle at WrestleMania 37. Oh, that'd be a nut. I'd, CM, I'd, I'd lose it. Punk and Cole, that'd be a hell of a match. Oh. CM Punk, Seth Rollins. Uh, oh. CM Punk, AJ Styles. Just, oh. I know. Do we have any more uh, final thoughts here, fellas? Or? Um, not really. Just WrestleMania was, was solid, in my opinion, for what it was. Um, I, I think it gave them an opportunity to try some new stuff out. Like the cinematic stuff, hopefully is something that they'll sort of utilize in certain situations going forward. Uh, and hopefully they'll think heavily for the two night format. Uh, if they could find a way to preserve takeover as well. I co-sign on both. Anything, Nick? You good? No, I think I'm good. Well, I think that uh, concludes our special WrestleMania recap edition of Mouth and Mouth Sports Show. Hosted here, Dan Sadik, alongside Ryan Brown and Nick Brown. Quarantined, not actually next to each other, but safely on our Zooms. And we'll see you next time. We should have a pod coming out in the coming week. Hopefully we have some stuff to talk about other than Brady leaving uh, for the Bucks, And uh, I'm not going to sleep for like the 14th straight night because of that. So, yeah. Um, Thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time.